From KBOO in Portland, Oregon, this is Religion for Life, religionforlife.com. I'm John Schuck. I'm very excited about today's guest, Nancy Ellen Abrams, returns to Religion for Life to discuss her new book, A God That Could Be Real, Spirituality, Science, and the Future of Our Planet. She and her husband, world-renowned cosmologist Joel R. Premack, developed a new visual language to express the big ideas underlying the new universe picture, which Premack helped to create. Where does God fit into this picture? She's with me via Skype from her home in California to explore what in the universe is worthy of the name God. Welcome back, Nancy, to Religion for Life. Well, thank you very much, John. Well, tell me about this fascinating book, which I love, by the way, and I think it's very important. I'm going to have my congregation read it. It's called A God That Could Be Real, Spirituality, Science, and the Future of Our Planet. How how did you come to write this book? I am a philosopher of science, and my husband is uh, one of the astrophysicists that is developing the modern picture of the universe. In fact, he and three of his colleagues created the theory that underlies our modern picture of the universe, which is really quite dramatically different from what anyone ever expected. Uh, It's based on dark matter and Mm -hmm. dark energy. And he has been developing this for over 30 years. And while I was living with this, and of course I know all the other scientists involved and I've been watching the progress of it, I kept thinking, what does this mean for the rest of us that we are not living in the universe we thought we were in? And he and I would talk about this a lot. We, we taught a course um, at the University of California trying to figure out how to express these radical new ideas to um, undergraduates without any mathematics. We wrote two books interpreting this new theory. And at the same time, over those same 30 years, I was in a 12-step program trying to recover from an eating disorder. And in my 12-step program, I was uh, basically instructed to find a higher power that could do for me what I could not do for myself. Now, I came into this 12-step program an atheist. I really had no, I wasn't the kind of atheist that um, is very combative. I really just didn't care about God. It just wasn't part of my life. And I was very science-oriented, but then when I came in, and I found that even just pretending that I had a higher power was incredibly helpful to me. I was really mystified. I just didn't know how to think about this. On the one hand, I, I'm this very scientific thinker. And on the other, I have to turn over my food to a higher power that I don't believe in. I was really totally confused for a long time. And uh, this book really came about because... Over all these years, I've been trying to come up with a coherent way to think so that I can have a way of thinking about higher power that is absolutely consistent with everything I know about science, but that actually works for me in my life. That's what this book presents. And it wasn't enough for the higher power to be um, just the universe or God as the universe or or, or a language of, of something that already exists like creativity or, or gravity. No, no, not for me. I think that those are um, those are things that several scientists have suggested that we think of as God mm-hmm. uh, in order to not think of the supernatural king in the sky version. But 
Um, my feeling is that the people who have suggested that we think of um, creativity or the universe itself or reality or these general abstractions, the people who, who suggest that we think of those as God are people who don't need God themselves. Hmm. They're suggesting a God for other people. And if there's one thing I learned in a 12-step program, you cannot use someone else's God and expect it to work for you. You've got to come up with a God of your own understanding. And um, so, <laughs> and I'm one of these people who need, uh, who need a God. So I had to come up with something of my own understanding. And I wanted God to be something, not to be everything, because everything means nothing. It had to be something, and it had to be something that is real in this universe. Now, in this universe is actually a really interesting idea because I don't mean in the common sense universe of um, a solar system and a bunch of stars out there. That is not how our universe is really functioning. The new picture of the universe eliminates many of the possibilities of God, but it opens up other possibilities that no one knew before. So. So I had a lot to work with. Well, before we get to the concept of God that you found that could be real, let's talk about just quickly some of the things that cannot be real. So what conceptions of God are no longer credible in our modern understanding of the universe that are still very prevalent? To me, the, the aspects of God that are impossible are those that are in clear conflict with modern science. Uh, so, for example... I think that the idea that God existed before the universe is impossible because the idea that there could be some sort of a complicated being that actually matters to us and might even be able to have planned the whole future, something like that can't exist before evolution because the entire history of our universe shows us that complexity evolves from simplicity. And that's the order. So, uh, I think God could not have existed before the universe. When you start to understand how the universe may have begun, and we do have a fascinating origin story for it. Before the Big Bang, there apparently was an instant called cosmic inflation, which set up the initial conditions for the Big Bang and uh, injected uh, irregularities or wrinkles into the space-time that the Big Bang created, and those wrinkles have become the blueprint for the entire universe. That's where the galaxies are distributed. They lie along these wrinkles that were put in before the Big Bang. Hmm. As science goes back further, and they, they have to extrapolate mathematically at this point, because we don't know yet how to get evidence from outside of our universe. It may happen. Some people have come up with some ideas. They haven't found it yet. But the way science proceeds is they go backward. They keep pushing backward. There is no beginning. This is really important for people who are uh, trying to tell an origin story for our universe. The beginning keeps going back earlier and earlier as our knowledge increases. So to say this was the beginning and, you know, God created it or whatever happened is not the right way. What we need to think of is that the beginning is as shrouded in mystery as the end. And we are here in the middle. We are here in the middle, expanding our knowledge in all directions, in space and time. But the beginning may have been uh, something called eternal inflation, which may have come before cosmic inflation. And if that state of being is real, 
It's mathematically supported, but as I said, we have zero data at this point. If that state of being is real, it could have been eternal. So would you want to push God before eternity? That doesn't even make any sense. So we can't talk about the very, very, very beginning. It's, it's a beginning is a word that stands for where we start to tell a story. It doesn't have any objective reality of its own. And the end is where we stop telling a story. It doesn't have any objective reality of its own either. So we have to realize that. And of course, in our universe, there's really uh, nothing for uh, anything that we can think about, we can talk about in terms of, of natural processes. Uh, one uh, sage quip that um, Galileo put God out of a home and Darwin put God out of a job. So we can remove that supernatural God way back and out, but eventually yeah. there, it moves to meaningless of really having well, nothing to do. This is why I don't want a, a universal God. I mean, the very idea that God could be something that is a characteristic of the universe itself is simply meaningless to me. Once you mm -hmm. push God out, if you realize what the universe is, you've got to push it out beyond eternity. It's It cannot be our God because we can't have any contact with what's outside our universe, the, one, the universe that was created by the Big Bang, which might be a bubble in this uh, state of being called eternal inflation. There may be infinite universes in eternal inflation. To push God outside beyond all that seems ludicrous because what good is it to us? It can't be our God if it's out there. My sense of God is that it must be close to us. If we, if we want it to help us in our lives, we need to be directly plugged into it at all times. And we are, if, we, if you think of it the way that I do. My guest, if you're just joining us on Religion for Life, is Nancy Ellen Abrams. She's the author of A God That Could Be Real, Spirituality, Science, and the Future of Our Planet. Well, let's get to this exciting concept, conception of God um, that, that, that could be real. And as I understand it, it is related to the concept of emergence. Can you yes. talk about emergence and, and, and how God fits into this? Emergence is a fascinating concept. It's becoming much more important in many sciences, although it's still a little controversial, but I think it's going to become even more important in the future. The, the idea of emergence is that if there is a complicated system with many, 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 many interacting parts, each of those parts, no matter how many more parts are added, each of those parts remains what it is if you look at it at its size scale. But if you step way back, if you zoom way out and you look at the entire system, as it gets more and more and more complicated, something completely new and qualitatively different emerges from the system as a whole. So a really simple example, you, John, are made of trillions and trillions of cells. And each of those cells is working very hard to digest your food, to produce the energy that uh, you run on, basically to keep you alive. Each of those cells will be a cell, but if you step all the way back and stop looking at the cells, but look at the system as a whole, you realize that you, John, are not just a community of cells, you are a self. You have a personality and an identity and a history and a mind you are an emergent phenomenon. You, the, 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 the unified John, has emerged from all of the complicated doings that are going on inside you. 
In fact, the, the great majority of the cells in us aren't even human cells, they're microbes. We are a community at one level, but we are a united self at a higher level. And that is actually a pattern that repeats throughout the universe. It's at the smallest, I mean, you can look at the atoms. Each cell is an emergent phenomenon from the atoms that are inside it. And we humans, as we interact with each other, for example, by trading goods, what has emerged from us is the global economy. The global economy is a real phenomenon. There's no question that it's real mm -hmm. and it controls us to a great extent. But it operates according to rules that we have to discover. They're not obvious. They don't come from human life. Even the concepts that we need to describe the global economy, no human actually fully understands them yet. They're certainly trying. So the global economy is an emergent phenomenon from us humans. Mm -hmm. We are emergent from the cells in our bodies. The cells are emergent from the atoms inside them. And it just goes on throughout the universe at all size scales. So in a sense, with the economy, for example, human beings created the economy, so to speak, or created the the parts of it, but it also is, moves beyond any individual human control or even understanding. Right. And the important thing is it happens without will or intention. Yeah. Emergence is not something that the individual parts create. It's something that emerges through the laws of science, through the laws of science, without will. I mean, the cells didn't will themselves to become uh, a human being. This is what happens. And what I'm arguing in my book is that God can be seen as the emergent phenomenon that must have emerged through the interaction of all of humanity's aspirations. Mm -hmm. Because even in very isolated communities throughout history and even prehistory, even in very isolated communities where people work together, where their aspirations joined to create some kind of a culture, gods emerged. What, what I think gods are is this emergent phenomenon that comes from people having aspirations and those in aspirations interacting to create culture. So that what uh, we call God is, in a sense, our collective aspirations. It's not our collective aspirations. This is the big difference. A collection is simply all the aspirations put together. But an emergent phenomenon is something radically and qualitatively different that emerges out of the collection. So it's okay. not the collection. That's, that's almost the opposite of what I'm trying to say. This okay. is why emergence is such a tricky idea. Um, yeah, uh, it's easy to say it's a collection of aspirations, but it's not the collection. Something emerges out of it that is bigger than any of the aspirations that is new and different and that follows different laws, that is governed by different laws of nature. That's what I'm saying God could be. And so you write, for example, in your book that God did not create the universe, but God created the meaning of the universe. And that meaning, of course, is associated still with human beings. Yes, but not with any specific human beings. That mm -hmm. meaning is associated with generations and generations, centuries of people contributing ideas and developing ideas. I mean, the very idea of creation, 
of the universe. These are not ideas that any person came up with. These are ideas that developed over many centuries and, and through various cultures. So together, the aspirations of people to understand the invisible, to understand what lies beyond the obvious, and how to talk about it, and how to have concepts about it. They fought over it. I mean, there's a huge history involved in each of these fundamental concepts that we just throw around today as if they were just words, like creation mm -hmm. or biology. Nobody could come up with those words on their own. These are cultural creations. That's the kind of thing that I'm saying God creates, because God is the interaction. God is what has, uh, is what has allowed something much more than what went in to come out. Well, what would we call this um, aspirations that, that emerge if we didn't use the word God? Well, that's the question. The thing is, I'm the first person to point out this emergent phenomenon and that it needs a name. Hmm. Now, many people, I've had a lot of pushback from atheists who are kind of angry with me for creating an option for God that is not inconsistent with science. But the fact of the matter is this emergent phenomenon is hugely important. It needs a name. And my question, the thing is that I'm not really interested in God unless it's real. Uh -huh. If it's just, if it's not real, I don't even know what we're talking about. So I have, my whole quest has been to find something real in the universe that is worthy of being called God. I'm starting with what's real. And I'm saying, is there anything in what's real that is God-like and could actually function as a God? So that was really the direction of my quest in the beginning. I was looking for a way to think about God. So to me, the only thing I've been able to discover that is absolutely real in the universe, but utterly God-like, is this emergent phenomenon that has come from us and has no name. So I'm calling it God. You don't have to call it God, but you really should recognize that it's real. You better come up with some name for it. Yeah, because this is an exciting and hopeful um, reality. Our, our aspirations that are aspire beyond any individual to be able to control it, um, it can really be a positive hope for the problems that we face as human beings. It can. And here's the big hope. This emergent phenomenon is coming from everyone in the world. In the past, when cultures were very isolated, they all had their own gods. But now we live in a united world. We live in a fully wired world. We live in a world where people getting angry on one side of the planet are killing people they don't even know on the other side of the planet. We live in a single world. And this is the only version of God that makes sense to me that is equally true for every person on this planet. Because science is equally true for every person on the planet. It's something that could really be common ground. And, oh, John, you know that given the problems that we have in the world today, mm -hmm. if we don't find some common ground, we're never going to be able to solve them. Problems like climate change, no country can solve that alone, even if it had a total commitment to try to do so. It has to be done worldwide. There has to be some common ground. We don't obviously have to share everything, but we have to share something that we can build on. My guest on Religion for Life is Nancy Ellen Abrams, uh, author of a fantastic book that could change our thinking altogether, A God That Could Be Real, Spirituality, Science, and the Future of Our Planet. So back to your your 
your work with recovery and needing a higher power and the idea of God as emergence, uh, asp- the emergence of aspirations. Now, what, how do we connect as an individual with this conception of God? For example, prayer, is that something that can happen or is there another way? Yes. I, well, I, you know, I redefine all these words. I, uh-huh. I, want to, I want to take back the religious words. I mean, religious words have wonderful power and, um, and symbolism for us, prayer and spirit. And these words, if we could just define them in ways that are connected to the real world, we would be able to get them back. We really need to find the mythological power in reality, in in the real universe, and feel ourselves connected to that. And when I say that I pray, what I really try to, I don't ask for favors. I mean, that is is just not the attitude that I think Mm -hmm. one should take toward God. Because God is not a mind. It's not a unified intelligence. God is something that is as different from us as we are from a single cell in our bodies. We are utterly dependent on those cells. We cannot live without them. They make us, but we are not the same as a cell. Mm -hmm. And because, you know, the moment that I just say the word God, and I think this amazing emergence that's coming out of me and out of everybody, it enlarges my perspective. One of the problems with being an addict of any kind is that when you're exposed to your substance of choice, it looms very large. It like takes over your consciousness and you just don't see anything outside and nothing else seems to matter. It's extremely important to pull way back and see what that thing is just in its real context. It's nothing, it's of no importance whatsoever in a cosmic context. The minute I say God, it pulls me back to see the whole planet and I see the whole history of humanity. And from that point of view, food is of really very little importance at the moment. So partly praying is a question of getting a much bigger perspective. Partly it's a way of of, um, bringing myself uh, from a feeling point of view into the universe that I actually believe in my head exists. So... Mm. Uh, the, the kind of God that I am proposing is a planetary phenomenon. It is not universal because humans are only on this planet and anything that has emerged from human beings is associated with our planet Earth. It's here. God lives right here. Yeah, well, well, another, of course, concept uh, related uh, with traditional religion uh, is the concept of uh, afterlife. And, uh, and, and, you know, that the individual somehow, some self-consciousness somehow continues to exist after their body dies. And, um, and, and I think for many of us, that's, that's gone along the wayside. But you, you talk about a positive way of thinking of afterlife with this new conception of God. I do, because, um, because we humans, when we think about afterlife, we almost always are thinking about what's going to happen to my personal consciousness after I die. But when you start understanding emergent phenomena, you realize that you, as an individual, are not just an individual. You are part of many emergent phenomena. You're part of, as I mentioned before, you're part of the economy, but you might be part of a profession. You might be part of an art form emerging. You might be part of a a scientific endeavor. You are part, an essential part, of many 
emergent phenomena. And as part of that, you can live forever if that thing lives forever, because your contributions and your aspirations remain part of it forever. It's one of the interesting things about an emergent God, that you don't have to be alive to, to stay part of it. But the other part I want to say is that the one thing we know about ourselves as individuals that is true after we die is we become ancestors. That's the one thing we know for sure. And in many cultures, ancestors are esteemed and honored. And if we want to be esteemed, honored ancestors a thousand years from now, all we have to do is behave in this life as an esteemed ancestor would behave. And we can enjoy the feeling of being an esteemed ancestor now because we know that in the future, that's what will happen. I think that the chief criterion on every budget decision, on every legislative decision, should always be, what would an esteemed ancestor be doing now? That would link us to our future. That would link us in our consciousness to the entire timeline of our species which could actually go on for billions of years. We, people today are so wrapped up in the daily problems uh, and silliness and triviality of uh, what's going on from day to day. And a lot of them are, you know, they give up. Oh, this, the things are so terrible today. We're never going to get through this. We have been through a lot of really awful things. We get through. Time goes on. It's important to recognize that you're part of the human species and continuing our species and its amazing ability to just keep learning and creating. That's what really matters. It's, it's not important that an individual consciousness go on. What's important is that the species go on because without the species, no individual consciousness could possibly ever survive. Uh, I, I, I totally agree. I have thought that whole idea oftentimes of the individual afterlife was pr pretty self-centered. But you make it, what a great, great purpose. What a great purpose to be an esteemed ancestor and to live that purpose in the present. You know, John, our planet, planet Earth, is in the middle of its lifetime. It has probably, a, it, it's about four and a half billion years old now. And it has probably another five billion years to go before the sun gets too hot. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. And our descendants could live on this planet with really lovely conditions, probably for at least another billion years if we don't mess up the planet now in the next few decades. When you get your numbers straight, you realize that um, we really need to be thinking about that long term. We could have descendants that go on that long. We, if we, if it turns out we are the first intelligent beings in the galaxy, and we might be, we certainly have no evidence to the contrary, then certainly over the next few few thousand years, which is a tiny portion of the billion we could be here, over the next few thousand years, we could be moving out into the galaxy, we could be exploring it, we could be the seed of intelligence in the entire galaxy. And in the very, very, very distant future, like many, many billions of years from now, our galaxy, which will have merged with the Andromeda galaxy, will be the entire visible universe because all the other galaxies are going to disappear from sight because of the accelerating expansion of space. So if we look very far into the future, 
we human beings with all of our flaws and our confusion, we could end up being the seed of intelligence for the entire visible universe of the future. I mean, that's the standard we should be living up to. What if we are that? What if we are the seed of intelligence? How would we be behaving now? Ah, fantastic. And even though we have, might have billions of years in the future, I just have about a second left on Religion for Life <laughs> to thank you okay. uh, for this vision and this magnificent book that I urge everyone to pick up, A God That Could Be Real, Spirituality, Science, and the Future of Our Planet, Nancy Ellen Abrams, author and my guest today. Thank you, Nancy, for being with me. It was a pleasure, John. You've been listening to Religion for Life. I'm John Shuck. Find podcasts at religionforlife.com. Religion for Life is produced and distributed with assistance from WETS, Johnson City, Tennessee, and KBOO Portland. Be well.